I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Falsha and welcome back to the Talking Blarney podcast, where we wade through the Blarney to tell you about the real Ireland. My name is Stuart McNamara, and I'm here with my positively musical co-host, Robert Cross. Hi guys, Rob here. Well, I've had a lovely day, Stu, uh, dealing with the ins and outs of uh, pensions for uh, one of my college presentations. So um looking forward to relax with a bit of podcasting. Well, I mean, they're very important, Rob. Absolutely. You know, the, these theoretical examples, but to, to his credit, I've learned a lot. So and I'm already using it on the job, so I'm happy there. That's good anyway. We've had a, quite the chilly week in Ireland this week. It's been uh, negative temperatures for most of the week. Yeah, to, to, to maybe date this podcast a little bit, we've had a, a bit, bit of a... There's a bit of a fuss in Washington, wasn't there, Stu? Uh, there was. <laughs> I don't know whether we should comment much on that. It was uh, yeah. scary times, I think, is the best way to phrase it. Let's just say I stayed up here very late Irish time to to see what was going on there. And, uh, well, I'll tell you, it sure was something to watch. Yeah, it's like White House down the live action version. Uh, in other news, uh, Joe Biden has put a man, uh, uh, the mayor of Boston is going to be his Labour secretary. Uh, both of whose parents are from Galway and who speaks fluent Irish, as a matter of fact. So there you go. Another bit of news. Excellent. That's a nice little Irish connection there. Uh, Joe Biden is going to have more Irish people in his cabinet to do in America than the Irish cabinet actually does uh, west of the Shannon. So there you go. How unsurprising. <laughs> well, Stu, there was something else that happened in the news this week as well, which uh, might be uniquely Irish, would you say? It might just be. What was that, Rob? Well, Stu, uh, there was a bunch of Irish fishermen accosted so they were by a British or Scottish it's a bit unclear uh, patrol boat near the islet of Rockall oh that good for nothing piece of rock sticking out of the ocean kilometres away from anything tell me more well Stu (laughs) Uh, I I think Irish people of a certain um age will certainly know a, a fair bit about Rockall, but I suppose people who don't know Rockall is an islet or like a big rock just sticking out of the ocean. Like it's not a proper island that people can really live on. It's sort of just like um I, I, I don't know really how you'd I kind of you can visualize this the easiest thing barring googling it, but it's basically like a big pointy rock sticking out of the ocean that birds like to nest on, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean it's just a, a boulder sticking out of the waves. I mean it's literally except for that one time a while back completely uninhabitable where that uh, that lunatic decided to stay there for a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's right. It is, but I suppose th- there's more to it than just that, Stu. So what is Rockall anyway? Well, we said there's a, a little kind of islet there. Now, the issue with it is it's off the coast of Ireland, certainly, but the UK also claim it. And it is technically administered as part of Scotland. So naturally, Ireland and and, and uh, the UK have had a few disagreements about uh, territory in the past. Too, I think it's a a, a very <laughs> one one way of saying it. Um, so this has come up yes. in the past. Now, the, the thing about it is, is that I suppose Britain likes to keep tiny little islands all over the world. Um, <laughs> uh, and and this and, really as part of the British Empire. Well, what's what's left of it anyway is just like, you know, little islands. So 
you know, there's really been a bit of a dispute about this because you see Ireland is the closest landmass to it, but it does fall apparently in the British um, exclusive economic territory or economic zone, I think is the correct term, which is sort of like a, you know, not the territorial waters that go around a country, but they're like the bit where you can fish in and things like that. And if something were to happen to like, you know, for um, Ireland and the United Kingdom were longer in some kind of large European trading block anymore that had a direct impact on fishing rights. You know, suddenly looking after this little rock and claiming you what own would that it, even be called? I don't know, some kind of fish exit, exit, something like that. <laughs> so it's becoming more and more relevant now, of course, around fishing rights because that's a really big issue. And I, Iceland is also quite close to it and they're they care a lot about fishing, Stu, to the point they have fish on their coins and, you know, haven't joined the European Union themselves because of fishing rights. So it's, it's, it is quite an important thing. Now, basically, Ireland hasn't formally claimed it per se, although individual people have, but it's kind of formed this almost... Um, I guess you could say folklore kind of a thing that, you know, Ireland sees this as, oh, we have to claim this because in, uh, the British are going to claim it instead. So it, it's it's got that kind of a, you know, given two fingers to London kind of a, a thing as well. And it, it certainly found its way into Irish kind of uh, contemporary culture about that. Um, I think most people in Ireland might remember the the, the Wolf Tones, who are a, a, an Irish Republican uh, folk uh, trad and folk band. They do like a lot of songs about the IRA and uh, various people who were killed by the the British and you know good good kind of Irish drinking songs as well but they had a, a number one hit a couple of years back called uh, you know Rock On Rock All um, the famous on you know the natural gas it'll burn your ass which uh, also hints at one of the <laughs> the other the other reasons to Rock All might be important there's a uh, natural gas and potentially oil around that area as well so uh, if you can claim this little islet it might um it might be quite important um, <laughs> down the line, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, like the thing is that it, it's such an insignificant piece of rock that for most of history, Ireland didn't have a need to claim it. Uh, I mean, in a, in a way, you'd almost kind of just expect to have it be lumped in with Ireland, considering its proximity. But it was only, wasn't it the, the Brits when they decided they wanted to do nuclear testing, they didn't want the Russians getting there? Yeah, it was things like that because, you know, our airspace and our kind of land and sea borders, they didn't want the, the Soviets there to keep an eye on things. So they they were certainly a bit um a bit concerned about that. I suppose these days there there there, there is more of a, a kind of nature preserve thing there because like seabirds do live on it as well and it's it's very isolated. So there's um uh certainly more issues about that now that we wouldn't really have considered in the past before. Um but also it, it's it's dangerous as well. There have been numerous shipwrecks uh, on there as well because in very kind of high tide you wouldn't see it and the next thing there's a massive rock where the left side of your ship used to be. Some kind of rock iceberg, you say, Rob. My God. <laughs> well that's exactly it as well. Um you know, there's plenty of uh, minerals and things that have been found there as well. Um, they found a new mineral there called uh, uh, baz- bazarite, I believe, um, in 1975 there, which is a mixture of barium and uh, zirconium. But now it's really a place for uh, seabirds. It's kind of, you know, uh, there's also like periwinkles and mollusks and other kind of small fish animals that cling to it. So it, it is kind of known in, in, in that regard there as well. And they keep finding new, new species of birds and things like that and marine worms there and clams as well, Stu, as recently as 2013. So it's really the, the, the rock that keeps on giving in, in a certain regard. But, you know, going back to the other thing there, we said, oh, there was a song about it. You know, plenty of people still have tried to claim this and put put a flag on Rock All for 
either the British or the the Irish. Um, you know, they'd send out a boat there. They'd try and get someone up there. Uh, one or two mad people, as I think you alluded to earlier, Steve, have actually tried to camp on it. Um, often amateur radio, ham radio operators as well. Um, oh, yeah, the old pirate radio. Yeah, no, they, they, well, it wasn't actually pirate radio. It was just a guy who wanted to get, like, broadcast from Rockall for the crack. And apparently, like, about 20 people, it says here, have done it. Although I'd be very skeptical about that because it's incredibly difficult to get there. As long as they call the radio station crack all. Yeah. Um, so the British kind of formally claim this properly-ish for the first time in 1955 is kind of the, the thing about it. However, um, the McKay, Clan McKay rather, uh, from Scotland, have said that they actually claimed it back in 1846 for their clan and that the Admiralty, they're going to be look after the British Navy, would actually have to get their permission to go there. Now, we, I think that's kind of disputed in Ireland because we're like, it was ours first mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're, we're we're kind of slightly more okay with the Scottish taking it over. Like we we we'd be fairly all right with that. I think well, there's a numerous numerous incidents there. Um, a people that have a cocktail party on top of it in 1978 because of course, of course you would. Why why not? But um. I suppose there, there's a few other kind of famous things about it, too, because of the whole ownership dispute. Um, you know, Ireland, we, we've never formally made a thing in the government side, but a lot of independent people have kind of gone out there and do that. There was a famous uh, few ministers up in Donegal used to say, oh, I like my constituency covers like, you know, from Killy Beggs and, and Donegal at, all the way out to Rockall. So they, they were saying it was it being administered as part of Donegal, which eh, kind of de- debatable there. But there's a few other interesting ways of claiming it's due. I wonder, are you familiar with the the former Dublin politician Sean Loftus by any chance? Uh, no, I don't really keep up with the various politicians. <laughs> well, Sean was uh, quite a rare thing. He was a barrister and politician, but he was actually one of the very first environmentalists that ever got elected in Ireland. So way before the Green Party even existed in this country back in the, the 70s. Bloody so John first got elected to Dublin City <laughs> Dublin City Council back in 1974. And, you know, back in the day, Stu, they, they recently kind of changed the law in Ireland. So if you wanted to run as an independent, so like not with any political party, you know, it, it, it just said non-party next to your name. You know, they, you weren't allowed to put like, say like, oh, Stu McNamara, independent for Limerick or something like that. You weren't allowed to do that anymore because a lot of people were doing that. So because it would only be independent or non-party next to his name, what they used to do was they used to change their name by deed poll to a description. So when he first run in 1963, it was like independent next to his name, but he changed his name to Sean D. Christian Democrat, Dublin Bay Loftus. Interesting. So he was highlighting there. I mean, he's it's running a bit a- of a mouthful. It is. And uh, yep. it'll be annoying on his passport. But I mean, if it works. It, cer- it certainly was. Um you know, he was he, he legally did change his name to Sean Dublin Bay Loftus because he was highlighting um, issues of pollution in Dublin Bay, as a matter of fact, too. But he later changed his name again to Sean Dublin Bay Rockall Loftus. Clearly, he has a, a point to make about Rockall there. Well, Stu, he was making a point about um, us claiming it. And you know what, Stu? If that didn't work, he was elected to the Dáil, our national parliament, in 1981 after he had that name. Although we did lose his seat like a few months later because it was a very, a very short all, but uh, it certainly it certainly worked uh he these his full name on the ballot that time was sean alderman dublin bay rockall loftus uh he, he'd taken out the christian democrat it appears what, what what a shame but um i suppose that's one of the most famous uh, things people would know about rockall there Stu. yeah i mean it's a uh, quite a long history i know that when the brits did first land on it didn't they mount a flag and a plaque on there saying that it was theirs yeah, that's usually what uh, they do across the, the world too, unfortunately. 
And, uh, and before, I mean, I thought you had to have a post office. Uh, well, I mean, a lot of. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past them. I'm pretty sure Rockall does feature on a stamp in Scotland, I believe, actually. So maybe, maybe you can. Yeah, but I mean, look. Uh, we don't really need it. And it's not like we don't uh, already have a tradition of giving away uh, our natural resource rights to other people. So I think it's it's what we do at this stage. It is. Right. So I think last week we mentioned that we're going to have a report this week on a, a certain incident that happened in Dublin uh, regarding Garth Brooks. And Rob has a lovely report to tell us about it. Indeed, I do, Stu. Now, this is um, I think this was probably the biggest story in Ireland that year. Um, and I remember myself and Sue can remember it, it was it just kept getting bigger and bigger and building up to a, a huge climax. And then, well, what, what happened happened. But uh, we're, we're going to go through this now. There's a couple of things we have to explain before we kind of get off the ground. Garth Brooks is you know, this was an American um, country music singer. Um, I suppose if, if you know him, you know him. He, he was very big in the 90s and remains still, as you might guess, massive here in Ireland. So that's kind of that's kind of one part of it. I, I invite you to look up his music there. I am a bit of a country music fan, but I wouldn't be a Garth Brooks fan. I, I don't think Stu is at all, I'm afraid. So we're, we're not going to pass judgment over his music. But needless to say, he's, he's certainly very popular uh, across the world, but has a very a very warm place in a lot of people's hearts here in Ireland. But one other thing to kind of briefly mention, and I was kind of saying this to Stu, was the kind of relationship with country music in Ireland, because it's um, it has a very kind of uh, long and kind of storied history, uh, doesn't it, Stu? Like you kind of go to uh, some parts of the country and uh, maybe to a slightly older person's kind of pub or uh, birthday party and you're bound to hear a couple of country songs, aren't you? Oh, yeah, it's it's very in with the, the kind of middle-aged people, shall yeah, we say. Sometimes a bit more rural, but like I think... Um, I don't think I've ever kind of gone to a, a party of people of that age, even even where we're from, without hearing, I'd say, like, you know, uh, Country Roads by John Denver. I think you hear that constantly. <laughs> or uh, definitely a bit of Johnny Cash or something like that. But uh, so there, there is a, a very kind of strong love affair with country music in, in, in uh, Ireland. And I suppose in, in the sense, um, I invite people to look up Ken Burns' fantastic documentary series about country music if you're if you're interested in the origins of it. But certainly there, there's inspirations that came there from kind of Irish uh, folk music and trad music and went over there to America. And in, in a sense, when country music came back here, it was um, it kind of merged with our, our own traditional music a little bit. And there is a, a very particular form of country music known as country and Irish it, is kind of what it's generally known as where it's sort of country music mixed with a bit of Irish traditional music with some of the instrumentation and uh, the songs and it's uh, if you if you hear it you'll kind of know what it is so I, I think Daniel O'Donnell would be the, the main practitioner in this country beloved of nanas and grannies in Ireland um you know he's 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 a very peculiar character. If you we we will later I think at some point review Father Ted with the the old McLove episode, who is very much based on him. And uh, I suppose Nathan Carter would be someone about about our age, too, not much older, who kind of takes on to the next generation. So it, it country music has a massive hold in Ireland, and it's it's very very popular in some areas, and people really really love it. So I, I suppose Garth Brooks would have been considered um, and still is in a lot of parts of this country as you know one of the the god almost to some people you know so it, it it's no sense that when garth uh was looking to do his first world tour in really forever i mean he, he was doing the old elvis thing Stu, of uh going to las vegas and just doing a residency there for about 30 days so when he was talking about doing a world tour well he was saying i'm gonna go to ireland and uh this is this is the story of how it happened really 
Um, I will say I'm indebted to Carl Kinsella, who wrote in Joe.ie about this, actually, with the, the piece Five or None, which has been a real fantastic source for getting this together. So, Stu, what Garrett was looking to do was he was looking to launch a kind of a tour, make a big, big statement, and he wanted to go to Ireland where people absolutely loved him. So where do you go, Stu? You go to Croke Park. Now, we've talked about Croke Park many, many times in this show before. It is the home of the Gaelic Athletic Association, the GAA. It's where the the hurling and uh, football All-Ireland finals are. We talked about the more darker parts with it about Bloody Sunday from like Michael Collins and other things where some terrible things happen. But in this case, we're talking about it uh, in terms of concert venue. Now, why there? Well, it's the third largest stadium in Europe. And to be honest with you, it wasn't a question of him being able to sell it out because it did. So tickets went on sale, Sue, on the 30th of January for two nights there. Uh, take a guess how fast they sold out. Oh, I'd put it down in the minutes, maybe five, ten minutes. Now, Stu, this, this is 30th of January. He's doing two nights there. Um, they're they're doing 82,000 seater. So not not the full 93,000 because it's at the stage somewhere, but they're doing 82,000 seats, two nights, per, per like 82,000 per night. And that sold out right. in five minutes. Ah, I was right. So you weren't too, weren't too far off. So what happens when you sell out that fast, Stu? Well, no, I, I suppose we should open a you third You put on more there. nights. You put on a third night. And that sells off in in about the same period of time. And then you do it again and again. So it went up with five nights uh, in Croke Park, what, like one after the other, and they've all completely sold out. How many people, Stu, do you think in total were going to be going to see Garth Brooks over this five-day period? Well, you said 82,000. Uh, r- rough, roughly. So over five nights. Yeah, so you're looking at what, like... 400,000 people total? Yeah, they think a prox 400,000. Like some people were going for all five nights, it's worth saying. Um, so <laughs> there were some super fans there. So 400,000 people, maybe not all individual, but like certainly a lot of them were going to go see Garth. And uh, that's a tenth of the population of Ireland at the time, just just to put this in perspective. So um, I, I, like we were kind of saying earlier, they're talking about country music in Ireland and Garth Brooks. I think that might give a bit more perspective there that how popular he was in, in certain sections of the society when 400,000 people, not all of them Irish, the many some people were going to see him multiple times, some people were going to come from abroad to see him, but that's probably the largest thing. I mean, Steve, I can't think of another performer in Ireland like that that's done that. I mean, I know the Spice Girls, I think, did two nights there once, but uh, that was that's about it, really. I mean, I, I, I'm struggling to think of anyone who's had that big of a well, draw I mean, here before. Just from what little I know of uh, concerts like that, especially if it's a world tour, it's very rare that you have the the space in your in your time to to add on three extra nights in one country mm-hmm. exactly now five concerts they've sold tickets for these five concerts you four hundred thousand people my god this is going to be the greatest start to a world tour you think of all time he's going to come to ireland he's going to be absolutely mobbed he's he could like you know record one of the nights he could do it could do like something different every single night and it'd all be grand but as often happens, Sue, sometimes things go a little bit wrong. And well, this was one of the those things. We have to talk about a few other things here now before we get onto the real meat and bones of it. But basically, there's a thing in this country called onboard pl- planola. It's Irish. It basically means planning board, as you could probably guess. Now they kind of deal with planning permission in this country since you know a, a while back because there was a few issues with planning permission and county councils and people getting brown envelopes with some money in them to look after a couple of things. But we'll we'll say that for another episode. Not in maybe. Ireland, Rob. How dare oh, I you? Know. I don't know what I'm saying. Irish politicians of that. But when Croke Park was redeveloped in the year of my birth, 1993, board planner said, "Oh yeah, you can do that." 
build it up bigger, get 93,000 in their 82,000, however many. But they one of the conditions do was one of the things that says they're allowed to hold three special events uh, in a calendar year. Now, these basically count as something like not not a not a, a match, basically, like not the All-Ireland final, that doesn't count. And they're allowed to have like Dublin can use Croke Park as their home ground and things like that for uh, Gaelic games. But this is like kind of concerts and things like that, or, you know, that's time the Pope went there uh, to do a papal mass. Well, yeah, you'd want to be somewhat respectful for the people living in the area. Well, see, that's exactly the, the thing, Stu, because I actually live in Drunkondra as well in Dublin. I mean, not at the moment because of <laughs> lockdown, I can't get back there. But I live in Drunkondra, which is where Croke Park is. Now, I, I live a bit further up the road. I don't live um, right next to Croke Park. But uh, I was up in Dublin in my house when the Spice Girls were playing there in 2019. And I could tell you, Stu, I could hear every single thing that they were doing down there, even though it's a good... 15 minute walk I'd say down the road for me and when those fireworks went off I thought the world was ending oh yeah I know that feeling we uh obviously we're not too close to to Thoman Park here in Limerick but I think it was the the time Pink came and she played in Thoman Park and it was like we were getting a free oh, no, concert is, yeah. because while it's a vast it, there, there's a good like to drive there 20 ish minutes maybe 25 but in between a lot of it is yeah. just flat uh farmland so it just the the, the sound traveled so far we were just listening yeah, to it I, outside like on a lovely i think it was a summer but anyway, it was a nice day for us. there actually and uh, i but I, I can i'm up in my attic kind of room recording now but i can look out my window and if i just peer through a, th- a tree slightly i can just about see thoman park because i'm up in kind of a hill so we really hear it clear i remember when uh, bob dylan was playing there a couple of years back Stu. i, I was uh, really enjoying that but uh, i think bob was having one of his many off nights unfortunately <laughs> It was singing to you as as your namesake. Yeah, I am named after Bob Dylan. There's a, a fun fact for you all. Um, that's a story for another day. But uh, anyway, so back to back to this. So they were out to hold three special events in a year. That's what the planning permission said. So that was basically concerts, that kind of thing. And you know, it's exactly why when you're putting on a concert and like you're selling the tickets, or I was like, oh, you know, subject to license. You know, kind of uh, a little small print there that says, well, we have to get permission to to do this, and licenses can change things like that. Like yeah, we have in a wrestling show, card subject to change that kind of thing but uh, those were the words that kind of came back to haunt them you see Stu because they didn't actually have permission to do five concerts there and that was the problem now it was Aiken Promotions that were running this they were they were the guys uh, doing the booking the booking agents and uh, geez they sold uh, the tickets for all five of them because there was demand there I mean to be perfectly honest from what it looks like Stu if they wanted to do a six night there they probably could have sold tickets for that and sold out again but by the time it gets to July uh, 2014, which is when this was was going to be um, held. Oh, sorry, I should have been I should have been clear on that. This would have been held the end of July 2014. We're we're talking now when these were sold was about December 2013 to January um, 2014. You know they'd already had that the, the three uh, events had already happened in Croke Park in that calendar year. You see, yeah, One Direction, who we all, we all remember them, don't we? Um, the the boy band they actually sold out three nights in a row in Croke Park in May of 2014 so they've already done the full licenses for the um the year there Stu. now of course they know that and generally speaking they had permission to do some of them and you know you can just because it's like the license is up to three you can apply for special permission to do another one or two or three or something like that so it wasn't that it was to know but it wasn't looking good for this whole five night uh thing going on now at all because there's always this little bit of red tape because apparently Pete Rosentegar folks we had to get onto on board Planala and he's he and he apparently the direct quote from the Lord Mayor at the time is he didn't have a fucking clue what on board Planala was. <laughs> well there's no real surprise no. there. I don't think he uh 
he really needed to care about it until it became an issue. So, it, but it was getting a bit heated too because the residents around Croke Park, and like I said, I live a good bit up the road from like I would have been able to hear this clearly if I was living there at the moment, at, at the time rather. Uh, but there's people that live like right across the road from Croke Park, like literally maybe five meters from the, 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 the entrance to the stadium in like terraced, excuse me, houses. So they, they, they weren't going to be getting sleep for five nights, basically, even if, even if it was finished up at about 11 o'clock. Jesus, there, there wouldn't be much you could do there. I mean, if you have to have uh, 80 odd thousand people in a stadium stew being able to hear you, I mean, that's going to have to be loud. And if you're living across the road, you're going to be hearing it for free no matter what. So that was going to cause issues as well. Well, Rob, you have to remember the logistics of it as well. I mean, you have parking, just people getting there and leaving. Then you have uh, litter, things like that, that, that go on around the actual concert itself i am i'm very familiar with that stew and it's uh, i suppose living there and i used to commute from that train the train station that's right next to it actually for uh, about a year and a half i I don't anymore thankfully but every time after an all-ireland final it's just a absolute mess um, down around there it's always covered in rubbish i mean they they block off some of the roads around it with the the guardidi the police and um redirect traffic is you really can't park in it or around Krog Park unless you're living there or you have like a VIP status or something so a lot of people will be getting there from uh, you know buses or mostly there there is a train station very very close to it which usually gets a lot of business um you know so um that's kind of the way people would would mostly be be, be kind of getting there uh but even like it's not it's not exactly a long walk from town either like if you get to O'Connell Street you you could probably walk to Croke Park and Jesus like well under half an hour probably 20 25 minutes if you knew where you were going and there's a few a few nice pubs you can stop off on the way for a tipple as a uh, <laughs> often a, a lot of uh, GAA fans will on an All Ireland day so. But I mean that's but that's just one day, Stu. This is five in a row. Um, as Dublin will constantly say with their all Ireland's. So like you can only imagine it's that disruption times five and it's going to be oh not good. So the residents were actually threatening legal action at this point, Stu. Uh against Jesus Kroog Park, Dublin City Council, who were kind of in charge of parts of this as well. And um, you know, everyone was on like Joe Duffy, one of the, the main Irish radio shows in this country where people go on Joe to give out Duffy. about things. Yeah, we'll talk about Joe Duffy and I think another podcast. It's just, uh, but it's just like a national institution where you you go on, you ring up Joe Duffy, and you give out about something that's happened to you wrong, where you've been wronged, and Joe basically will get someone else on, and it'll get sorted out for you because I think it's a. there's kind of like this running thing in this country, Stu, where it's like, oh, something has gone wrong. And it's like, oh, we better ring Joe Duffy there. He'll sort it out for you. So well, look, he does bring it to the attention of the, the right people. He does, to, to his to his credit. Um, I met him once, actually. Very, very nice guy. Uh, ironically, in Krog Park, <laughs> would you believe? But uh, that's a different story. Yeah, so there's plenty of stories of like Garth Brooks fans coming from America, Canada, the Netherlands. Um, there was one, his super fan, Avril, in Dublin, who bought tickets for all five nights. And she was going with different friends every, <laughs> every one of the five nights. <laughs> which is good. Or my personal favorite one, Stu, there was a fella, Bren was his name, and he was a street vendor. And, you know, you, you often see them like around uh, match days around Croke Park. They're selling, you know, the, the scars with all the different uh, county colors on them, oh, and yeah, hats the, and things like that. Those all for fake scars. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, so this guy had spent €15,000 on 5,000 cowboy hats to sell to people. And they, like if, if something went wrong, he oh, gee, he wasn't it wasn't looking too good there. So yeah, so basically it ended up with Dublin City Council who were kind of in charge of this kind of thing had to kind of do something because it was like, well, oh, they, they didn't have permission to have all the five nights there, but they'd sold the tickets for that. Now Garth Brooks was anyway, so it kind of it kind of fell on on their desk. So I mean, you know, you had uh, eighty three thousand people come out of Croke Park at six p.m. and then you could potentially have another eighty three thousand coming in on the the um the same night again at one point is what they were talking about. So this is kind of the stage it gets at. So what they're saying is at this point, Stu, you can't do the five nights. You don't have permission to do that. So um, you'll have to do uh, three nights is kind of what they actually had the license for. Now, this left a lot of people unhappy. So one of the solutions they were talking about doing were doing two matinee concerts instead. So there'd be like an early concert in the afternoon and then there'd be like a late concert immediately afterwards. But the problem with that, as I was just saying there, you'd have to clear out Croke Park of 83,000 people and then get another 83,000 people in two hours later. And that's a, that's a, a very tall, tall uh, ask when someone who lives near there knows the kind of streets and roads and things like I don't think the infrastructure can deal with that um, would be my short answer to give there. yeah not at all <laughs> and like even you know to give uh, old Gart his dues I mean it, it can't be easy as well with him and the, the other performers having to put on two shows very oh, shortly no. after each other I mean, if you're if you're singing your heart out, um, you know, and then you it, like like you know, you, I assume like you do the big song at the end where you like sing and you do the really hard hard songs, and you have to do another show like two hours later after like so, so, sung your heart out. I mean, Jesus! I mean, it must be difficult enough doing five nights in a row, Stu. Yeah, especially uh, isn't a like. Well, I don't listen to a lot of country music. I'd say it, it would be a lot harsher on the vocal cords than a lot of other t- kinds of music. Like imagine doing like a two metal shows one after the other in the same day. Your voice would just be completely gone. <laughs> yeah, just like see, seeing like a burzum or something like that, like one after the other. <laughs> <laughs> just like Barry, there's like, hello guys, how are you? Although I suppose... I suppose technically with metal, it might actually make it sound better, but you know. Yeah, I suppose because I was talking about uh, black metal there. I think that actually might work. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, Stu, oh, it's it's um it's looking like right. So they're trying to be like, mm, can we get something out here? Because like, the residents do not want the five the five shows here. I mean, at this point, they're actually not that happy with uh, even there being more than one or two. I mean, like, look, they're not killjoys there at all, Stu. I mean, they 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 don't mind a bit of a singing or and songing going on, but. Uh, in all fairness, if you live there, you don't want to listen to Garth Brooks uh, five nights the week. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. But um, that's kind of the issue. So they were trying to see, is there any kind of alternative venues they could have for some of the nights? So in in a sense, uh, thankfully, there is another stadium in Dublin, the Aviva Stadium, which formerly Lansdowne Road, which uh, is what we use for our soccer and uh, rugby games uh, nationally as well. They were looking there. So... The manager of the Aviv actually rang up uh, Christy Burke, who was the Lord Mayor of Dublin at the time, and says, I can get you in here. But the only problem was they can only take 40,000 people. 
in the Aviva. So that that was less than half of what Croke Park can take. So unfortunately, that's not going to work out either because, oh, you know, there's things there. And then, of course, there's people still living around Lansdowne Road as well. And it's not, you know, while it has a train, a dart station, train station as well. And there's plenty of buses gone out there. It's still not going to be ideal. So that really didn't work out as well. It's at this point, Stu, that the Mexican ambassador to Ireland gets Interesting. involved. Yeah. So uh, uh, Carlos Garcia de Alba Zepeda, I, I do apologize, uh, Your Excellency, for mispronouncing your name there, but I am... Um, I don't speak Spanish. Uh, he got on to him. It turns out himself and the Lord Mayor Christy Burke were actually great friends. Um, the Mexican embassy is actually on Raglan Road in Dublin, which is a lovely little part of Dublin and not too far from the Aviva Stadium. And uh, they were uh, actually, he was actually a massive Luke Kelly fan, uh, ironically from the song, you know, Raglan Road, um, of course, based on the the poem by Patrick Kavanagh, whose statue is actually located very near Croke Park. Funnily enough, it all, it all kind of goes back together, Stu. And uh, Christy Burke says, he used to go over to a load of trad sessions at the Mexican embassy and they, they got on great. So, I've, uh, <laughs> if if you're if you're own ball if you're own balls bridge and you're near Raglan Road, apparently the Mexican Embassy is where it's at, Stu, for uh, a good a good old traditional sing song. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've now had country and Irish. I'm waiting for mariachi and Irish. Uh, I, I, we, I, I could actually talk a fair bit about uh, Irish contributions to Mexico, but maybe we'll save that for another day. <laughs> yeah, maybe another one. Um, we probably should. There's many tangents we're going on here that are going to turn into other podcasts. It's it's fantastic. So Vasari said, look, sure, if there's anything I can do, uh, let me know. Um, I'm not really sure what he could have done, Stu, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he would have had some kind of solution, but God bless him for trying anyway. So what happened was Dublin City Council had to finally make a decision and it was July that they made this decision in and these were supposed to ha- this is at the start of the month 3rd of July when these were supposed to be uh, going on at the end of July is when the concert was supposed to be held so they basically says look we don't think we can do this five nights thing we're looking at 80,000 people in there every night three of these nights are going to be weeknights so it was going to be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday it just just can't take that it's way too many so they had the three concerts there with uh, One Direction in the, in the end of May people there were not too happy with that at all it was way too loud way too many people there much more than an All-Ireland Day it just wasn't working out and even like noise considerations there because you know the kids had to go to school the next day because they were on weekdays and things like that and people had to go to work and you know I, I used to commute for quite quite a bit from there as well early in the morning so I mean it wasn't the easiest thing in the world so they were just like uh, it just it just didn't work out at all now um, so really it was the people living there that had really the the most uh, effect uh, by this because they were just you know people were worried about the traffic disruptions even some antisocial behavior just like you know like i said earlier just the poor kids trying to get to sleep so they just couldn't do it Stu. so they only gave licenses for three of the nights uh, that was the friday the saturday and the sunday the 25th of july 26th and 27th of july in 2014 so the other two concerts were cancelled and that's unfortunate though Stu, isn't it but look sure at least you have the three gigs going on yeah there. three is better, better than, than they'd nothing, originally intended they only wanted the two um, yeah. been sad for a lot of people but 50% increase in what they originally wanted you're still getting 83,000 in there a night you know Jesus it, that, that's uh, that's well over 40 million is what they roughly are saying per night and that's just what Croke Park are earning that's excluding all the hotels too all the vendors like our good friend um Jed there with his cowboy hats, uh, all the restaurants, all the everything else that would have got it. Yeah, I mean, that guy was going to make a killing if exactly. he sold all those hats. I mean, you said it was what 15 yep. grand for 5,000 hats, it's like three quid a hat, and you sell them for a tenner, probably 20 quid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd be laughing there, but still, this is where we get to the unfortunate dun, dun, bit. Dun. 
because they, now it gets back to Mr. Brooks himself. And it's worth noting that Garth really has a, a very good handle on his management and his business. So he actually does make a lot of these decisions himself or, or because he's with his manager so long, he does have a, a large say in this. So, I mean, he was absolutely um, looking forward to this. He felt Ireland was his adopted home. Um, that's it. And he said, I can't thank the people of Ireland enough for now for how welcome they make me feel. I have faith that Dublin City Council make the best decision of the people of Ireland. And he adds on, for us, it's five shows or none at all. To choose which shows to do and which shows not to do would be like asking to choose one child over another. Yeah, I mean, that kind of sounds a bit like an American who is used to getting his own way. I mean... I can't say what it's like for him in America, but I assume if he kind of put that bit of pressure on, they might be more lenient and leave him off. But yeah, not here. Yeah, well, well, I mean, there, there he goes to. So he, he was laying down the gauntlet as it was. He was saying, "Look, this, I'm doing five, or I'm doing none, uh, to try and see if they change." Now we go back to the Lord Mayor Dublin, Christy Burke. Now we're saying the Lord Mayor is like you know he's the the, the figurehead, if you will. He gets to have a lovely mansion house in Dublin, nice little spot. But it's really not his decision, you see, to make because you know the count, elected county. Councillors like city and county councils in Ireland, they really don't have that much power. They can't do a lot of things. It's really like the unelected people behind the scenes that make the decisions. The the city and county managers, the chief executives of the council who are appointed by the minister for local government, they really have the power. Like, you know, if the central government wants to overturn what a, a local council does, that's it. But in, in a sense, the councillors, as they're the elected people, the kind of faces of the council, they usually do the, the front of house stuff in a lot of cases, if you will. So Christy Burke, who was the Lord Mayor still, a uh, nice guy with the way I met him before as well. You know, he was kind of doing the face-to-face with the management uh, side of things while trying to see if there's anything he could do. But he was really just the middleman stew between the kind of real middle management in Dublin City Council and Garth Brooks management. But he was he was doing what he could. He he, he does have this um this great thing. He says uh, he dealt directly with them. He said he chalked up to Ubers on the American side. And this is a direct quote. Garth Brooks couldn't even fill a stadium in his hometown. I felt the management were trying to compensate for that reason so they could go back to America and say, well, we got five in Dublin. The people were out the doors. We couldn't give them enough. So it was like a lot of macho bluff ego is what he said. I suppose, I suppose that's kind of a fair point, though, in a sense. He, he wasn't going to... F- yeah, it does sound a bit like that. You know, yeah. maybe... Now, as like I said, not a big Garth Brooks fan myself, but I, I certainly am a fan of uh, a variety of music. And I think it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of like... I remember the Killers said that... Um, they, they, you know, they were never big in like their native Las Vegas. It was when they went to the UK and the Mr. Brightside became like a huge, huge song that England just became their home. And I mean, I think you got to say, so like, you know, it's when they put on Mr. Brightside in like a nightclub over here, it's just everyone is just goes nuts. So it, it, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. We love that song. Um, I think that that, in a strange way, that tends to be something that happens to a lot of uh, bands is that they can't get a foothold in their own country, but then somehow going somewhere else kind of captures something and then they become world famous because of it. I think that's exactly it, Stu. And it's like, it's just some bands that just get inexplicably, like uh, the whole old expression is like, you know, big in Japan. It's like how some bands just are you know, beloved in Japan where like outside of the rest of the world, they're just like, who the hell are these guys? Um, (laughs) You know, um, I I do. I do remember when I used to do a radio show, um, which you were a frequent guest on, Stu, and we did about music. And I I think I did an episode about um, bands that were like big in Japan, like just random bands that had like these random hits in other parts of the world. And they were huge there, but we only know them for like one novelty song over here. (laughs) So um, very much the case. So yeah, that that's the way it was too. It was uh, Garth Brooks said, "Look, I want all or nothing. 
you know, Christy Burke was like the intermediary there almost. He was like, well, sure, you know, I don't think, we, uh, you know, trying to get them to do something. So then it goes back to Akon, who were doing the promoter for the concerts. And they said, look, we did this the exact same way as we always did. We had permission for three of them. We put out the two first. They sold out. We got the third. And then they said that normally, you know, if, there, if more happened, they'd always apply for permission afterwards because that's the way it was It was doing. It was just the scale was that uh, was far beyond anything they'd really kind of dealt with before. And the Croke Park residents were absolutely sticking to their guns. It's like eight concerts in one year. That's way too much. You know, they didn't care too much about the last three because like they were allowed three and, you know, they weren't kicking too much of a fuss up about Garth Brooks doing one or two nights there, but just eight was way, way too much. They couldn't take that disruption anymore. So what happens to? Well, nothing. That's it. You know, they stuck to their Dublin City Council, stuck to their guns and said, we gave you permission for three. There you go. Garth Brooks it was all or nothing. He I remember a very famous picture of him on RTE News. Uh, I don't think he was directly appealing to them, but he got down on his hands and knees to the Taoiseach of Ireland and to Kenny, uh, who wouldn't have actually had any say in this directly uh, and offered to do anything he could to um, get him to fix this. But, well, that was out of his hands and the decision had already been made. So instead of having one of the biggest showcases of all time in Ireland, um, nothing happened. It was all over. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a weird and messy situation. Like there's a lot of kind of twists and turns to trying to get it done and and reasons that it couldn't happen but i mean at the end of the day the fact that none of them happened at all is kind of just down to garth's pig-headed uh, pig-headed nature i suppose just uh not even having the concerts yeah. that they were allowing you know, him it, to it have is, uh is a real disappointment to it, all of it, his it fans is too. and i mean i like i'm not a fan but i mean if you're able to if you're able to sell 400,000 uh, tickets in ireland for uh, a series of concerts clearly you know your 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 big stuff like um absolutely so i mean there there's a lot to take in here i i mean it, there there really is i mean is it Garth saying no five or nothing um is it you know the promoter's fault because they didn't um get permission for the other concerts but then again they were doing the way they always did they didn't do anything different from any other concerts they normally apply for it afterwards that's not terribly unusual maybe the scale of how big it was was a bit unusual but ultimately wasn't that different was it like Dublin City Council for not being a bit more flexible here but then again they'd already gone over the three special events in the year and I mean they were being generous enough giving them the the extra day that you know they hadn't originally gone for i mean i think it, it was in a way it was doomed from the start the fact that they were already trying to go above and beyond what was laid down in in whatever laws or, or allowances yeah. they had for having three concerts um but then kind of just continuing to push and push and push i mean it, it's sad in a way because i think garth probably lost fans because he had yeah. no concerts at all i think there was probably a way of doing it like i mean I don't, I don't know if he's been back. He I don't think so. But you can imagine if that had, if he had done even the two dates that he had originally intended, he could have been coming back year on oh, year yeah. and doing those two dates again and again and just made bank every time he came I, here. You know, I don't. I, I just it, it baffles the mind that, in a way that he 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 almost willingly gave up. What you is know, I think you're entirely right cash cash cow I mean, for him. If you have that, you know, buying and selling ability in, in this country, like to be able to do that, I mean, Jesus, you could um, go back every year, sell 83,000 tickets and just go away if you wanted to. I mean, I, I remember saying to someone at the time, actually, because this was all over the news. Like, this this was the, the main item on the news every day because, you know, 
it wasn't like we were um it wasn't like we were still dealing with a massive recession at the time and there was a load of political turmoil in some parts of the world but anyway um look i mean even with even with that like you have to think he he, he sold 400,000 tickets in yeah. you know just after a massive oh, recession the, which I is have the figures here commendable them a second but i i was remember talking to someone at the time and i was i think i said something along the lines of uh, kind of like you were saying there with him like selling a croak park i mean couldn't he just do like a like what michael jackson did before he died like you know go to london do like a 60 night residency i mean if he did like um a 60 night residency in like the o, the o2 or a three arena now is is what it's called in dublin uh you know there's only like what ten thousand people there but jesus he'd sell yeah. out every single one of those nights without question you know and he, he he could just he could just do like six months there and he'd probably sell out every single night you know it's a license to print money almost yeah, like even you know if he's on his world tour like if, if it was starting here in ireland do the the three nights that they were kind of allowing him to do and try to work out well maybe if we swung back at the end of the tour and did another two nights maybe they'd be happier with that maybe giving them a I don't think a month or two I, break in between. I think they weren't going to get any more been more amenable at all. Is what like it would be a calendar year, so you would have had to come back in January at the very earliest. Um, is, is what it looks like to me anyway. I don't like. I can't see that they gave any more concerts in that year. Generally in Croke Park, they do the concerts in the summer. Oh yeah, you know, well it's going to be cold weather. Yeah, wet. So um, I, I think generally they don't. They really only do them around the summer. Um, certainly the only the main people I remember living there was like the Spice Girls and um, uh, what you call it. Uh, the Pope, <laughs> which were very, very, very different acts, I think, too. I don't know who was opening for the Pope, but he seemed pretty good. But yeah, but going on to the, the actual implications, Stu, um, you were talking there about money right after recession. So Dublin Chamber of Commerce, the kind of a represent uh, organization, we're going to businessmen in Dublin, they estimated that Ireland as a, as a whole, mostly Dublin, would get 50 million um, in, you know, extra revenue by these concerts. Now that went down to basically about 10 million a concert is, is what it roughly worked out as. That went down to about 30 million when it went down to the three nights. So that's a, a fair drop, but still 30 million is nothing to be uh, sniffed yeah, at, too, particularly when, you know, and then it just goes down to nothing you know um after that i mean it's 50 million gone and you know garrett wasn't exactly going to be getting nothing out as well he probably would he would have made a couple of mil off this as well like it, i haven't really seen any exact figures for it but um you know we're we're talking possibly you know three four million i've, I've seen talked about just for garrett brooks himself and his people so i don't know how that exactly breaks down that's just what i'm hearing people say can't give an accurate answer on that but we're talking a lot of money Going back to our, our dear friend Brensley with the cowboy hats. So the good <laughs> right. news, the good news, um, <clears throat> he had his 5,000 cowboy hats. He, he got uh, 15, 15 grand for the 5,000 of them. Now, he thought he was in trouble. He was going to sell them for 15 euro pop. So like, uh, that's that's not too bad. Five times the the value he, he had to pay them for. He'd be, you know, he'd be delighted with them. So he said, thankfully, all the Garth Brooks tribute acts were doing just the rounds in Ireland at this point because he cancelled. <laughs> so he says, I ended up going down to tribute acts in Westmead and Carlow. Eventually, I got rid of them. I got away with it in the end. I didn't want to be stuck with them for 10 years. So it, it, all, it all worked out good for our, our good friend Bren there. But that's but that's just kind of part of it there, Stu. Um Apparently, Garrett was personally quite upset by this. Um, yeah, I'm sure know, his wallet was, was quite it. upset. There's, well, apparently he, he did he did take this quite to heart. I mean, there were some these quite terrible messages that were on his uh, Planet Garth message boards from 2014. The true fans are the ones hurting to, here tonight. I hate being Irish. You know, I know Garth said the Irish people shouldn't be embarrassed, but I disagree. 
So there was a bit of a bit of unfortunate anger there. It almost seems like Stu against the Irish government, even though they didn't strictly have anything to do with this. This was a Dublin City Council enforcing a decision that um, the planning board had made in the nineties, which you know would have been enforced by a court action if they hadn't done that. To be perfectly honest, um, yeah, it, like it is sad as well. But I mean, even if there was a way to, you know, maybe start off by asking, but you could find out yeah. who had purchased tickets for multiple nights. And maybe you could have fit everyone into three shows so that at that least does everyone got to see it once. Oh, I'm sure it would have been. But I mean, considering the amount of money being lost, I think at least uh, people would have been happy to have gone to one night if everyone got to go. Obviously, I'm not saying that, what, uh, sixteen or 160,000 people had bought tickets to multiple nights, but you might have been able to, to lower the number a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's it. It's just, um, it's just it. I mean, this article is very, very well written. I must say, I will, we might link it in the show notes, but uh, it, it kind of goes into this thing. It's, so maybe it wasn't greed. Maybe it wasn't ego. Maybe it was heartbreak. And uh, yeah, I, I maybe, I don't know. I think Garth certainly took this personally to, to a certain extent as he would, but you know, was it ego? Was it money? It, 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 it is very kind of hard to say. And I mean, we, we still don't have any answers. Gart has talked a little bit about this, but like he hadn't toured or really released any new music in 10 years. He'd just done uh, residencies in Las Vegas at this point. Um, you know, so that's that's it. Like, I mean, I suppose this would have been like a launching platform for him in, in a sense. And he was obviously beloved enough here that even though he hadn't released anything new since 2004, maybe longer than that, he was still able to do that much of an impact over here. So yeah, it's very like, unfortunate for everyone involved. Crazy, really, but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I would agree with the people living there that it would have just been too much. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Like, I mean, as I like, said, I don't even live that close to Krog Park. I, I live further up the road, but I mean, I could hear everything that was going on. Uh, some of the larger things that take place there, so I could only imagine, even if I was living like five minutes down the road, it would be louder. And I, I can only imagine oh, living across the too road. Too much it, like, for how loud five nights. Be. I mean especially midweek with kids and everything like you said you know it's it's difficult to get get to sleep at the best of times uh, is, but yeah. having country music coming out at, at such a <laughs> volume would have been ridiculous it is um there's a quote here from the mr brooks himself um i've always been advised to never send a message in the moment it is said it is best to take a walk, wait a while, and think about it. With that said, I just received the news that the Irish Council cannot change their earlier ruling to not allow the licenses for all five shows. Sam Crush is an understatement. All I see is my mother's face, and I hear her voice. She always said things happen for a reason, and for the right reason. And as hard as I try, I cannot see the light in this one. So, um, sounds like he's taking it quite personally there. <laughs> I don't know if his mother is living, but it doesn't sound well, like know, in that case. You can say that without so, actually um, meaning it, yeah. but... Uh... Yeah, it does sound like he, he found it a bit rough, at least. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I mean, that's it, Stu. So, I mean, that's unfortunately, uh, there isn't really something to, better than that to end on because, well, that was it. I, he hasn't really been back to Ireland yet. And I mean, I, hope, I suppose there's this whole thing of um, whenever you see like a massive act playing Ireland and you go extra date added, you're always like, oh, will it though? You know, there's always that niggling doubt you have now at the back of your head about, oh, what if they cancel something like that again? But uh, you know, certainly what I what I can say is um, I don't think that they've added uh, any excessive shows up in Croke Park, certainly anymore. Yeah, I think they've um, at least learned from their mistakes. There anyway. Yeah, like I, I suppose it's, 
you have to kind of at the end of the day it's understandable to be disappointed if, if you wanted to go and see a concert like that because like imagine okay it doesn't have to be like uh, Garth Brooks it could be someone that you like it could be I don't know the the, the weekend or Miley Cyrus in my mind it'd be like Neil Young or Bob Dylan or something like that but yeah imagine they, they were playing there and then like they just kept selling out nights and things like that and you weren't able to see part of it um you know I got to see my one of my favorite bands, Bell X One, an Irish band who they did a five night residency for their 20th anniversary up in Dublin. If Garrett was doing something like that and they cancelled two of the nights, like, oh, not his seminal 94 album, I don't know, or something along those lines. Yeah, just uh, I think before we finish up, we do have to express uh, a little bit of, of disappointment to the people of Blarney, where our podcast gets its name, as over the weekend, we're, or during the That's week, right, I think too. it was, weren't a uh, hundred people at a an illegal Shabeen uh, makeshift pub. It was, hun- it was it was a hundred people in a shed uh, breaking still, yeah. the COVID guidelines. Very shocking to see. Yeah, very very sad to to hear that the people from the, the the glorious town of Blarney, right near where the Blarney Stone is in its castle, they were doing something so illegal and so awful. Yeah, I mean, just being brutally honest here, look, uh, COVID is out of control in this country at the moment. We've had 8,000 new cases uh, yesterday. Um, A month ago, we were in, you know, middle hundreds of cases. This is completely out of control now. Don't fuck around and do these things. Like, maybe this podcast isn't going to get to the people who need to hear it, but, you know, just... It pisses me off now because, you know, there could be people close to me and used to and all of us that could get really, really sick by this. And it's not you that is the main issue. It's like your grandmother. It's your your sick auntie. It's things like that. And it's putting pressure on our hospital systems where, um, you know, God forbid someone has an accident or a heart attack and there's no space in the intensive care unit because everyone in there has COVID. And that's just the reality of where we are at the moment. So don't be a selfish prick. Um, Stay the fuck at home. Get a few cans. Go on a Zoom call. That's oh, what yes. we're going to do today. Very drunk. Do. In the comfort I mean, of our own room. this podcast set up, it, it, uh, we, we always record like on a Saturday evening and then we already have a chat afterwards. Like, I don't even have to move. I mean, my setup is here right now. I got the mic right next to my face. I got my laptop here. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could, could be. be way worse um i'll also just briefly say as well um we, we we did receive a disappointment Stu, that we didn't do a best uh uniquely irish in our awards show for uh last year uh so i'll uh i i will say now that we will and uh for our next episode we will do our best uniquely irish award so uh, i think we'll finish up there anyway yeah so thanks very much for listening anyway guys really appreciate it hope you enjoyed this story of um woe and uh <laughs> I, I think this this whole episode could be described as as you and you the yeah. irish kind of a thing i think it's fair to say too. uh garbrook saying settling out stadiums anywhere else oh definitely so yeah, so next week's episode is going to be on the 2016 movie Handsome Devil. Oh, I've heard of that, but I haven't seen it, so this should be interesting. Yeah, so we'll see what that's like. Yeah, so thanks anyway, guys. As always, if you have any feedback um, you'd like to give us, you can reach us on Twitter at BlarneyPod or email us at TalkingBlarneyPod at gmail.com. Yeah, so thanks anyway, guys. If you've any, if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can uh, please tell a friend. It really means a lot to us. And uh, please give us any feedback then if you'd like. Uh, we will talk to you next time. So for me, it is good. Bye. Sloan, and we'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.